Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So today, I want to continue talking from the book of Genesis. Now, here's the thing. Genesis has one-third of human history in it, which is huge, but it has the foundation for God's dealing with humanity. Our redemption has its foundation in Genesis. Right? So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they literally, they bow their knee to Satan. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that when this happens, right, that death Sin, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, everything comes into this world. And Satan becomes, so to speak, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God, small g, of this world. 1 John 5, verse 19 says, we know positively that we're of God. And the whole world around us is under the control of the wicked one. People say, well, if God's, if God's in control, why is there war, pestilence, sickness, and disease? Because the whole world around us is under the control of the wicked one, right? Satan's control. So, so, so Adam takes the authority that God had given him, and he transferred that authority to Satan. Luke chapter 4, Satan told, took Jesus, showed him all the glory, the splendor of all the nations, and said, all this has been delivered to me. And I can give it to whomsoever I wish. Who delivered it to him? Adam. So in a sense, uh, Satan is using Adam's authority. And I've said this before, but God created an angel named Lucifer. But you and I, put it this way, humanity created Satan. We are the ones who gave him authority in this earth. When Adam and Eve bowed their knee to Satan. So God is on the outside looking in. And God needs a way in. And so God finds a man, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, your father's house to a land I'll show you. This is what God says to Abram. I will make you a great nation, nation Israel. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Then verse 3, God's foreign policy to this day. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And then a messianic prophecy. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God makes this agreement with Abraham. A couple chapters later in the 15th chapter, Abraham says to God, God, how am I going to know that you're going to keep your word? How do I know that you're going to do what you have said you're going to do? And remember, this is the the things he's going to do for Abraham specifically, but it's also what he's going to do in redeeming humanity, right? And God says to him, okay, he says, uh, take some animals and split them in half and put them on the altars. Now, Abraham immediately knows what's happening. God is going to make a covenant with Abraham. This was the custom in the day. The animals would be split apart. They would be put on altars. And at, at that time, they would walk through those pieces and make promises to each other. So <clears throat> there's blood everywhere. 
and people would walk through. Again, I'm just going to take and put this over here. And they're walking through these altars and they're talking to each other. And they're making promises. The feet are covered in blood. And they're promising each other things. So God tells Abraham, cut the animals. And Abraham knows what's going to happen. There's going to be a covenant. God's going to make a covenant with him. So the Bible tells us in Genesis 15, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. So Abraham, the Bible tells us he fell asleep. And a smoking furnace or oven and a flaming torch walked through these pieces. And by the way, they're making promises. They're making promises to each other. And we're going to talk about those promises a little bit this morning. All right? And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, this is verse 18, saying to your descendants, I've given the land. So one of these represents Abraham because he makes the covenant with Abraham. He has a representative. And the Bible calls him the seed. We find some more of this in Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises multiple made. To Abraham and his seed. Now, one of these two that's walking in here represents Abraham. And by the way, it's the flaming torch represents Abraham. The smoking oven is God the Father. So God the Father and God the Son are walking through these pieces in blood and they're making promises. Everybody say promises multiple. Not just one. Now there is one specific that's the, the key. All right. But there are multiple promises that are made as they walk through the pieces. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ? All right. So one of these, again, that's walking through the pieces is Jesus. And promises are made to Abraham and his seed. Not just one, right? but to his seed. In this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant, which was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So it's saying that this promise that God made to Abraham supersedes everything that God said on Mount Sinai through Abraham, excuse me, to Moses. This supersedes, this is before, and it supersedes the law. Right? The law could not undo the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, Galatians 3, verse 29 says, if you are Christ, how many are? Then are you Abraham's seed? Right? So the promises are made to who? To you. Right? If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed. One Adam got us into all this trouble, right? God sent the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus, the last representative man, right? Just like you were in the first Adam, you're in the last Adam, who is Christ. If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, 
right? And by the way, it's so easy to read your Bible and forget all about that promise, right? Now, the main promise, well, Jesus talked about it, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. But wait for the promise. For the what? For the promise. Wait for the promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. All right. The key promise, the, the overarching promise, all right, is that the Spirit of God will come and live inside those that are in Christ. That's the overarching promise. But there's a lots of promises. So God makes this covenant with Abraham. Now, today, most people in their entire life only enter one covenant. Right? It's a covenant of marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's, it's not a contractual agreement. It is a covenant agreement. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, look it up. Right? So when Jeannie and I got married, we entered into this covenant. And all of a sudden, everything that was mine was hers. And everything that was hers was mine. Right? So this covenant that God makes with Abraham, God's going to do his part, but he needs to know that Abraham will do his part. Right? So Genesis chapter 22 says this. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now what he's doing is he's finding out if Abraham will fulfill his side of the covenant. There's a test. He's got to be willing to do what God's going to do in this covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is not just one-sided, it's both sides. So he's testing the covenant. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to Mount Moriah, or the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And we will come back to you. Now, God has said, offer him as a sacrifice. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that he received him as a type, right? He was willing to give his son, right? Because the truth is God's going to give his son, right? Now, it says, stay with the donkey. He and I, we're going to go worship, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went up together. Now, I think it's interesting that Isaac had to carry the wood, Right? How many of you remember what Jesus carried on his back? He carried the cross. He carried the wood. Right? And Abraham is willing to do this. Now, and Abraham said, my son, the son says, where's the, where's the burnt offering? We've got the wood. And he said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Now, literally, it's a prophetic statement that God is going to provide an offering. Right? And it, they came to the place of which God had told him. 
Now, we know where this place is. It's on Mount Moriah, but we know literally like exactly where this place is. We've got a picture right here. We're going to show you. Now, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, if you're a Muslim, or if you're a Christian. Everybody knows where the, what this is. Underneath that dome, the Dome of the Rock, which is literally, it's an Islamic, um, how would you say it, memorial of when they, they conquered Jerusalem, right? built in the seventh century. But right underneath that dome is the place. I mean, it is the place. There's no question. That is the place where Abraham took his son and was going to offer his son right there. Now, can you back up the other photo? Now, you'll notice immediately, which is it's to the east, you'll notice that wall. Now, if, if you were standing inside the Dome of the Rock in the exact spot where Abraham was, and you were to look to the east, and the walls of the dome disappeared, and the wall, the eastern wall there disappeared, and you looked about a half a mile away, it's probably not even that far. I've walked it seven times, and it just takes five minutes, right? You would see on the, on the hill there, it looks like a skull. It's called the place of the skull or Golgotha. It is the place where Jesus is crucified. Now, it's been about six years ago, there was an earthquake in Israel, and part of it fell down. Right? But before then, it was still, you could just see as clear as could be. You could see the eyeballs. You could see the nose. It just looked just like a skull. It's the place where Jesus is going to be crucified. Right? By the way, it's also the place where David took and offered a sacrifice to stop a plague that had come upon Israel. It is the place where Solomon builds the temple. All right? And uh, you go today and, and uh, you can go over to what's referred to as the Wailing Wall, which is part of Herod's temple. It was just a, a wall that was kind of a retaining wall. And uh, you'll see Jewish people there literally sometimes by the hundreds praying. Right? So he came to the place right, of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abram, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So Abraham passed the test. He's willing to give his son. Right? But God is going to give his son because Abraham passed the test. Right? Now, it's interesting that in Genesis 22, it says that God tested Abraham. Literally, from Matthew in the New Testament to the book of Revelation is God's test. And God comes through, by the way. God offers his son for your sin and my sin. He offers his son to redeem you and me. So God says, don't lay your hand on him. And Abraham looks behind, and there in a the thicket, there's a ram. And he takes that ram, and he slays the ram as a sacrifice. And the Lord, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. For he said, this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, we say Jehovah Jireh, which is what he said. And I remember we used to sing a song, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But what it actually said was this, in this mountain, 
it will be provided. In this mountain, it will be provided. The sacrifice will be provided in this mountain. He didn't have to give his son, but God was going to give his son in this mountain. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, Abraham said, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw Jesus' day. Many scholars tell us that what most likely happened is Abraham was going to slay his son and God stopped him. But God gave Abraham a vision that day. And there was no wall of the Dome of the Rock and there was no wall around Jerusalem. And he saw right over maybe a half a mile away, maybe less. He saw that place of the skull and he had a vision and he saw three crosses on that vision, in that vision. And he saw God give his son that day. And Abraham saw it and Abraham was glad. He said, I know I passed the test and God is going to do what he promises to do to redeem mankind. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called from heaven to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply your descendants at the stars of heaven and the sand which is on the seashore and your enemies shall possess the gate that your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. So he said, blessing, I'll bless you. And other translations say, I will bless you greatly. Other translations, surely I will bless you. I like the message the best. God said this, I'll bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. I will bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. Now, the you is you. Because if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, you'll find in the, in the, uh, the Old Testament, as God is carrying this out, um, the covenant is referred to, the covenant that God keeps is referred to again and again. It's referred to in, in Hebrew as hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it's literally covenant love, unfailing loyalty and favor. All right? For example, in Psalms 136, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy, his hased, his covenant love, unfailing loyalty and favor endures forever. And you read that whole Psalm 136, and all it does is talk about his mercy. It's his hased, it's his covenant love, right? His loyalty his favor, his unfailing love towards us. Now, God not only said what he was going to do, but the Bible says he swore by himself. Right? So let's go ahead and look in the New Testament. Right? Now realize then that Genesis 15 and Genesis 22 are really one story. They're one story, the covenant, and then Abraham proves or is tested that he will keep the covenant. Abraham upholds his end. And the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, is God's showing us how he upholds his end of the covenant in Christ. So Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God had made a promise to Abram, 
Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you. This is where it says, oh, how I will bless you. So that after he had patiently, Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. And the oath of confirmation is to them an end of all disputes. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise. Now you are the heirs of the promise. If you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, right? And heirs according to the promise. This is talking about you. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for the refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor for our souls. So here's what it's saying. It's saying that you can know that you know that you know that you know that you know that God is going to uphold his end of the covenant. He's going to do what he promised because number one, he said he would. Number two, he swore by himself that he would. In other words, God's saying, if I don't uphold this covenant, the promises that are made, he said, if I don't uphold it, then I'm not God. Second Corinthians 1.20, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed? And heirs according to the promises, Galatians 3.29, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 verse 20, all of the promises are yes and amen in Christ. They're yes because God said he would. They're amen because God swore he would. All of them belong to you and all of them are yes and amen. Now I want to quickly jump over or jump back actually to Genesis chapter 14, God has made the promise. There is a war that takes place. Abraham's nephew is taken captive. Abraham goes and rescues his nephew. And as he's coming back, the Bible says, then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He's priest of God most high. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tithe of all. So this Melchizedek comes out and he blesses Abraham. Now, the Bible says it this way. He said, without dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Without a dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham, who has received the promises. Hebrews 7 Now this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, who to whom Abraham also gave the tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning prince of peace. What do we know about him? Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest forever. Okay? Priest continually, forever. God said to Jesus, you are a priest forever. After the order or like Melchizedek. Now, who is this guy, Melchizedek, by the way? 
without father, without mother, without beginning of days or end of life. Uh, There's two possibilities, by the way. Some people will tell you he's Shem. This is one of Noah's sons. He he, uh, lived over 500 years after the flood. When Abraham was born, Shem was around. When Abraham died, Shem was still around. He outlived Abraham by 32 years. And if you would have looked at Shem, you'd have went, oh my goodness. I mean, Abraham's born, Shem's old. Abraham dies, Shem's still old. He's been around the whole time. It looks like, man, does this guy, no, no beginning of days or end of life? Who's his father? Who's his mother? I mean, there's like nothing about him, all right? But the more likely, I believe, is this is a Christophany. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, all right? And when he comes to Abraham, he comes immediately with bread and wine, representing the body and the blood of Jesus, all right? Now, I'd like you to, if you've got your elements with you, we're going to take communion together right now. And I want to talk to you just a minute about communion. Because communion in the New Testament, all right, goes all the way back to Genesis 12, to Genesis 15, to Genesis 22, right? It is remembering the covenant that God made with Abraham, that those promises belong to you, that God upheld his end, that he sent Jesus, and Jesus shed his blood. Jesus broke his body to redeem humanity, that the promise of the Spirit and the promises that are yes and amen belong to you and belong to me. 1 Corinthians 11 now, if, if you haven't received those symbols of Jesus' body and blood, if you'll just lift your hand, there's men and women that are, are distributing them right now. But Paul said this, I receive from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus gave his body broken for you so that you might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. His body broken for you was so that you could have health in your body, victory in your life, deliverance, the provision. Jesus gave his body to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham and to his seed, and that's to you. And every time that we do this, we're remembering that God fulfilled his promise, that we're in Christ, that every time the Bible talks about being in Christ, in him, in whom, it's talking about what Jesus purchased for you and me at Calvary. So he, he gave thanks and he says, take eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. You may take eat the body. And in the same manner, likewise, he took the cup after the sup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's not the blood of goats, calves, 
but it's in Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood, the covenant. That blood redeemed you. That blood brought forgiveness for you. That blood means you belong to God. And if you're Christ, you are Abraham's seed. And all of the promises are yes. And all the promises for you are amen. You may take the cup. Even David, way back in the, under the old covenant, which this one totally supersedes. He looked to those benefits and he said, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And, and I want to say a couple of things here. First, you can take communion at home. You don't need to be in church to remember the covenant. And you can release your faith as you're partaking of that communion. I also know that God confirms the word with signs following. And if you're here today and you say, there's a promise that I want to lay hold of today, because I know all of those promises are yes and amen. Because of Jesus' blood, because of his broken body, those promises, they belong to me. See, and you need to know that promise. The Bible says in Luke chapter four, they delivered to Jesus the book of Isaiah and he opened the scroll and he found the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord's upon me. He found the verse. He had the promise that applied to him. And if you're here today and you say, I would like someone to agree with me. I want a promise because of Jesus' body, because of his blood, because all the promises are yes and amen because God swore by himself that he would fulfill the covenant and he would fulfill the promises. If you'd like somebody to agree with you in prayer, I'm gonna ask you to just come out right now, make a line right across the front here. And we're gonna come by, we're simply just gonna lay hands on you and agree in Jesus' name that the provision that Jesus purchased for you is yours, whether it's healing, whether it's de deliverance, whether it's a financial breakthrough, Whatever that thing is, you need peace. You know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. So as they begin to lead us, if you just come forward, we're simply going to come by in a moment. If you want you to be releasing your faith, saying, I'm believing, I'm believing today that I am receiving the promise because all of the promises are yes, and they're amen. That he forgives your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfies your mouth with good things. There is provision. There's forgiveness. There's deliverance. There's peace. There's provision. There's provision. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. 
For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.